This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful that you are here today. Today's episode of the show is sponsored by Prevenex. This is where I get all of my vitamins and supplements and protein powder and kids' vitamins. They have it all. Two products from Prevenex that I highly recommend you all checking out is their Neurofi Plus, which is the protein powder. We use it in smoothies every single day. My husband and I use it. My kids use it. We love it. We pack so many good nutrient-dense things in our smoothies every single day, and so I feel really good about giving that to my kids every single morning, and we always have a scoop of the protein powder in there. They also have a product that is for your joints, and specifically for runners, this is super important. The Joint Health Plus not only reduces your joint pain, it also protects your joints so that you can have longevity in the sport. You all can check it out and save 15% when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. All right, today you're listening to episode 301, and I'm talking with Ellie Pashley. Ellie is an Australian runner. She runs for New Balance, and she's a 226 marathoner. She placed eighth in the 2019 New York City Marathon, and she ran in the 10K at the World Championships in Doha. She has a bit of a different story to running. She did not run in college. And then she traveled a little bit. She became a physical therapist. So her path to professional running started just a little bit later than the traditional story that you might hear about. It's really exciting to think of all that is on the horizon for Ellie. She is trying to make the Olympic team so that she can either compete in the 10K or the marathon in Tokyo. And we hear all about her training and what she's looking forward to in this episode. She also did run in the London Marathon this past year in 2020. And we talk about that as well. All right. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to iTunes or wherever you're listening and leave us a quick rating and review. That is a huge way that potential new listeners can find us. I know you hear me say that every single week. So if you haven't done it yet, here's another nudge to go make that happen. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy my conversation with Ellie Pashley. Well, today on the podcast, we have Ellie Pashley on the show. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Okay, friends. These Australian friends that we have are super kind. It's 7 a.m. Ellie's time, so you're getting a fresh out-of-bed human being right now. Who's <laughs> <laughs> not a very good morning person, so apologies in advance, everybody. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Well, it's hard to be on super early too. Like I need like a, f- a full hour before I run, before I talk to anybody, before I do anything. So this is this is really impressive. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It should be okay. I think if it was any earlier, I would have struggled a little bit, but seven's okay. <laughs> You've committed to a full hour long conversation. Will you go run after this? Ah, uh, yes, I will. Yeah, I've got an hour, just an easy jog to do this morning, so I'll do that afterwards. What do you usually get up around seven? Like, what do you usually, is this, did you have to set your alarm early? Uh, no, I usually get up at seven. Um, most days, the days that I work, I don't start till a bit later. So I don't really run till between eight and nine o'clock anyway. So okay. yeah, this is, this is pretty normal for me. My husband has to go to work, so he gets up at, he sets his alarm for seven every day. Okay. Anyway. So he's up getting ready for work. Yeah. I always say that if I didn't ever set an alarm or ever have kids waking me up, I think seven is like the as an adult is like the most perfect time to just naturally let your body wake up. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, I think naturally I would probably wake up between seven and seven thirty anyway. Once it gets sort of beyond eight o'clock, you feel like you're wasting a bit of the day, I think. Totally. Okay, so what's going on in your world right now? I know you ran London and we'll talk about that, but what have you been up to and what are you training for right now? Yeah, so we're just, we're in the middle of summer over here at the moment, which is nice. And I've just been uh, ticking along training post London. I had a little bit of a break. We had to do uh, hotel quarantine when we got home. Mm. So it took me a little while to get back into, I guess, full fitness. But we've got 
Um, the Australian 10,000 metre championships is coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm just trying to get as fit as I possibly can for that. And then, yeah, beyond that, we're not really sure. Maybe a couple of local road races. I'm not sure what marathons are going ahead this year. Mm. There hasn't been much racing in Australia over the last 12 months. So it's pretty much just trying to get as fit as I can so that I'm ready to race when, when races pop up. Yeah. Do you think, I was just thinking about this, like since London showed that they could do that pretty well with just the elite field, do you think that more of the majors are just going to do that? You know, so I'm, you know, Boston not happening. Like, do you think that those races will happen for just the elites? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think, I mean, the tricky thing for a lot of those events is the mass participation is what funds the yeah. the elite world essentially. So I don't know if it's a very sustainable model for them because it would cost them a fortune to put the events on without really getting anything back. And I mean, it might be something that they have to do for a little while and some events may choose to do it. It definitely doesn't have the same atmosphere as a as a mass race and it's yeah, it's been a little bit sad this year uh, not having any of those events go ahead as normal. So it's hard to say what, what will happen, but maybe maybe as the vaccine starts mm. going, sort of spreading through the world, they might be able to start holding mass races again, which would be really exciting. It's like hard to believe it's actually happening, but it's it feels hopeful. Like people, this is happening. People are getting vaccinated. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. I think it, it, it probably shows that there might be, I mean, not an end point because this yeah. is, this is going to be something we have to live with for a long time, but yeah, we might be able to live semi-normally again in yeah. the next year or two. It's exciting. So what is it like switching gears from, you know, marathon to 10K? I know you specialize in both at this point in your career. Are you running really fast right now? Ah, uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, to, <laughs> trying to get fast again, which definitely speed is, is not my strength. So um, I've been working through summer on... I actually have been trying to get fast enough to run a 5K. I'm running a 5K mm. tomorrow night, which I'm really not a good 5K <laughs> runner. So that that will be very interesting. But yeah, a lot of a lot of shorter, faster reps, and just gradually building my mileage back up. Um, and then yeah, ma- marathon specific work won't start until we we know exactly what races are happening. Or okay, so your your 10K PR is 31.18, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, so what is your 5K PR? So my legal or my technical 5K PR is actually 16.05. Okay. <laughs> which is quite a lot slower than my yeah. 10K splits. Uh, and that was, I think, a couple of years ago in Geelong, which is a city near where I live. So, yeah, I just, I don't know, I really struggle trying to run any faster than 10K pace. Um so I'm hoping to lower that tomorrow night, but yeah, it's I've got a bit of work to do in the 5K. Isn't that fun though to know like you've progressed so much in your career since you last really gave it a go that even if you have a not so great race, you're going to PR. Yeah, hopefully. You will. You, there's no way <laughs> unless it's like a million degrees and like you get stomach cramps. Uh, yeah, hopefully. I'd definitely be disappointed if I don't uh, <laughs> run in the 5K, but yeah. We'll see. I still, yeah, I still find it the hardest event at all. It's harder than a marathon, I think. Oh my gosh. I agree. It's a, just a different kind of hurt for sure. It's just such a shorter time period. Okay. We will get into London. We've done a couple post London interviews, which were really fun. Um, and I, I love hearing about that race. Let's introduce you a little bit more to the listeners. I believe, well, I guess you're my third Australian runner on the show because I had Sinead on, Sinead Diver, after, gosh, it must have been after the 2019 New York, 2018 or 19, I can't remember now. Yeah, I think I listened to Sinead's interview. I think it was after New York. It was one of of the years. They all are like meshing together now. Yeah, 2019, because we both did it together that year, I think it would have been. Okay, and then recently Jess Hole on the show. So um, number three for the Australians, which is fun. Can you share a little bit about your 
progression into this marathon and 10K running because you're 32 now. So I know that your your journey to get here looks a little different than uh, who, you know, what we hear, like, you know, Jess Hole, for instance, who came over to America and ran uh, big tens and everything. So can you just share what your college experience looked like and when you decided, hey, I'm going to like really give this thing a go? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, like you said, my, my journey has been a little, a little different to Jess's. So we don't have a, a college sports system over here like you guys do. So there is probably for a lot of Australian athletes a, a period where some people sort of get lost through that university mm-hmm. time unless they go to the States for college really because, yeah, I guess there's a lot of other distractions happening and um, athletics in Australia probably doesn't have the same level of prestige I guess compared with some of our other sports like uh, team sports so so we do we do lose a lot of athletes through that period and and I was probably similar in that I ran through uh, I started doing little athletics when I was a child which is basically like a junior athletics thing on a Saturday morning that we have here in Australia and then I did cross country through high school but I was playing a lot of other sport uh, and then when I went to uni, I basically did nothing <laughs> other than I played some team sports. So I played netball and basketball and just like recreational. I, I, yeah. Oh, I played netball relatively seriously, okay. but not um, not at a really high level. But you guys don't have netball over there, do you? It's a, I mean, is that similar to pickleball? Is that the same thing? Or are we just like, do we just call it something uh, different here? Uh, I'm not sure. It's similar to basketball. Okay, that's not pickleball then. Okay, what do you do? You have um, a team, there's seven people on the court, but people have got their own area that they're allowed to go in. There's all different positions. Yeah, and then there's this uh, net at the end of the court, which you shoot into, similar to a basketball ring. Um, So I was playing that through uni, and then I sort of got back into running a little bit towards the end of uni, just with local fun runs, and I started running with a local training group in the town where I lived at the time and then sort of floated in and out of of running after that for a little bit I was working at a running store in Geelong which is a town near where I live now uh, just as I was finishing off uni and I I guess I met a few people including my now coach Julian whilst working there so I got a little more into it but I was still pretty pretty slack to be honest and then it wasn't until uh, we went overseas traveling for a while and we came back and I was horrendously unfit and I decided I never wanted to get that unfit again and <laughs> I stopped playing netball I think just before that point and decided I was going to run a marathon so um, I got Julian who was my friend at the time we did a bit of running together and I asked him to coach me and yeah I started training for my first marathon which I was so petrified of the marathon distance that I it was the first time I actually followed a program properly mm. and really put everything into it and um yeah so I was basically from then I decided I was going to take it seriously and and see what I could do okay so a couple questions that was 2016 sorry oh yeah yeah so that was that was yeah. when you ran the 245 in Melbourne yes okay yeah so when you said you were traveling overseas, was that you and your husband just kind of like being young and traveling while you can and having an experience? Yeah, yeah, it was. So we um, we spent almost a year in Central and South America and then Europe. So just, yeah, not much running. What were you doing? Were you just like backpacking and just exploring the, the, the countries and the cities that you went to? Yeah, yeah, basically we we worked at a hostel for a little bit oh, cool. uh, in Nicaragua, but then the rest of the time we we saved a chunk of money before we left and it was basically just traveling for as long as we could until we ran out. Of money. Ran out. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty low budget travel, I think um we were trying to find as many $2 night <laughs> hostels as we could. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm so pro that. I I am not a great traveler myself, but I always tell people, young people, like, go, if you have the passion to go do that, go do that. You can't just go travel the world. Well, you can once you have kids, but it's a lot more complicated if you have kids, you know? So I'm like, if you're young, go do that. That's so cool that you just went and made it happen. Was that more you or your husband? Or did you both have equal passion to do it? 
probably initially it was more me that wanted to do it, but then he grew to really love traveling, particularly from that trip, I think. And we actually went with a group of friends. So the first few months there were was a group of us that all went to university together here in Australia. So, um, yeah, we had a pretty, pretty fun time. I don't know if I could do it now. I don't know if I could live. I know. <laughs> the same way, but it was, it was awesome. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Like, are you will? You're also at that age, like more willing to do everything on the cheap to get that experience in. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, sometimes I wish I would have done that, but I know I'm just a better human when I sleep in my own bed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe down the track when your kids are all grown up. Yeah. Hold on, just a second. What? No, you may not. Shut the door. My kid's asking if they can have ice cream right now. Just, no. <laughs> Trying know. to get you when you're busy. Yeah, like so I can just say, yeah, sure, go ahead. Um, okay, I'm super intrigued by this, like, first mar- marathon experience to, you know, your progression to where you are now. So 2016, you're tw- 32 now, so you were, what, 27, 28? Yeah, I think I was 27 when I did it. I mean, another really cool part of your story, and not that I'm – telling people who are professionals at 22 to not be professionals at 22, but it's kind of cool that you got those like years to not be so focused on training and kind of just live a little outside of it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's part of me that probably wishes I, I took it seriously a little earlier Mm -hmm. or whether I tried to come to the U S for a, sure. uh, And, you know, run at a college over, over there. But yeah, I mean, I, I did I did have some years of, of good life experience and I was working and traveling and uh, also when I started running, trying to manage a full-time workload with running, which I think makes me appreciate now <laughs> working less. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was really good. I just, I just hope that I haven't left it so late that then I'm not going to have too much time. But surely like Sinead, like running with her shows you that you have lots of time yeah absolutely I mean she's she's a big inspiration to to everybody in Australia I think and and you know she's still running faster than ever and and has has a lot of years left hopefully yeah um so yeah that that is one thing that that does give me confidence if I can if I can keep going until I'm yeah even close to 40 I'd be I'd be very happy yeah I mean I think that when you look at the major marathons who's placing in the top three is usually women in their mid mid to late 30s yeah yeah maybe not always I I guess I haven't seen the percentages but it seems like it's often that that's the case yeah yeah I think um and they they do talk about about women peaking a little a little later than men as well and yeah it's 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 exciting that there's still some time left um but yeah I guess you just never know what's around the corner with injury and stuff like that so trying to to yeah make the most of things while I can so let's talk about that progression so you you run the Melbourne Marathon in 2016 in that 245 you're being trained by your coach Julian who is still your coach now who you met at the running store which I think that's so cool I mean I most of us runners have gotten to know employees at local running stores and I think it's cool to hear that being part of your story what did that first training plan look like? How much were you running? Yeah, so it was, I think I, I started running every day because prior to that I hadn't been. And I think he built me up in that program to around 100 Ks a week, which okay. is probably about 60 miles a week. Okay. Maybe a little more. I might have gone just over, but that was quite a lot for me at the time. Um so yeah, that was more mileage than I'd ever done and and I got through that block without any injury or anything like that. So so that was positive and he was very conscious I think of not going straight to high mileage. So that one was was a nice uh a building block and then from there each year we've we've gradually added added some mileage. Yeah, and you've progressed each year. I mean, I'm just going to so the listeners know and you correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. You then run Berlin in 235 in 2017, 231 in Cape Town in 2018, and then you go down to 226. I can't, what's the word? How do you pronounce that city or that marathon? Oh, Nagoya. 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 Okay. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, and then you <laughs> go traffic. run the two two twenty six in New York in two thousand nineteen. So that's really quite the big progression year to year. But it looks like it's a healthy progression. Like you never like took off these massive. I guess I mean two forty five to two thirty five. That's pretty massive. But um, tell us about what that progression did look like. Yeah. So. I mean, each time I was relatively surprised, to be honest. But when I look back, I between Melbourne and Berlin, I had a year. So my my mileage went up quite a lot in that time. Okay. I think I probably went from running, yeah, 100Ks a week to maybe 130 or so, a lot more regularly. And I also had that first block under my belt. So, yeah, that 10-minute PB was, was still surprising. I think I wanted to run under 240 that day. Um, oh wow so I was very pleased with that yeah and then Cape Town was only a few minutes but Cape Town was quite a hilly course and it was also uh, really warm weather that day so we were coming out of Australian winter and it was in September um, so that was that day that 231 and it was quite a tactical mm. race as well there was lots of surging and and I think I walked away from that and I was pretty confident that I could run under 230 in my next one if it was uh, flat and and cool. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, was, that was really good fun, though, going and running a marathon in Cape Town. And then Nagoya, again, yeah, my goal was sub 2.30. Wow. And there was, yeah, there was a little – it was a bit tricky because the pace groups, Sinead was actually one of the paces, and she was pacing 2.25, which was the slowest pace group. Mm, wow. Um, yeah, the, the Japanese women like to – like to run fast. So I was in a bit of uh, a pickle as to whether I went with that group, which I knew was too fast, or ran by myself basically and tried to run, you know, 228, 229 on my own. And I ended up going with, with Sinead's group because I knew as well how good she would be at, mm. at pacing and, and running evenly and things like that. So I took a bit of a gamble and ran with that group that day. And then, yeah, I was pretty surprised to run – 226 to be honest I thought um this is going to be could be an epic blow up yeah. but <laughs> I hung on for a for a 226 so yeah how, that was that was a very exciting day how long were you with the pace group so I stayed with them until around 25 or 27 oh, wow. I think oh, okay yeah and then I actually I had a bit of an upset stomach so I dropped off because I wasn't feeling very well um and then had a bit of a yeah slower period through there, and then I think I was able to pick it back up at the end, just because I started to feel mm. good again. So yeah. So when did you know? And I asked this question because I read somewhere that the expectations that come with your ability could be like a little bit um, intimidating. Do I want to work that hard? Right? Do I want? I know what I could do but I also know what it's going to take to do that. So A, when did that settle in that you were going to go for? And then B, once you started running these marathons, when did you realize, oh, my potential is that I could be an Olympian. I could run sub 230. And, and you know, obviously you could be an Olympian in the 10K or the marathon at this point. Yeah, I think, um, I think in the back of my mind, I always knew it, when I was playing other sports even, and I, I really loved team sport but I probably always knew that I was better at long distance running mm -hmm. <laughs> even though I hated to admit it but um yeah so I think there was always a part of me that thought oh once I'm done you know traveling and doing this and that I, I would like to run a marathon or I would try to have a bit more of a go at running and see see how much I can improve can improve so it was in the back of my mind but yeah it wasn't until I decided to do the marathon that I wanted to train properly for that purely out of fear of how horrible a marathon could be. <laughs> um, and then as soon as I finished that first marathon, I was just hooked. Like I think the Melbourne Marathon finishes in a football stadium called the MCG and running into that stadium at the end, I got this almost overwhelming sense of emotion that I had never, ever got from running or any sport really before. And it, yeah, it was just the best feeling in the world. And I think probably a big part of that was that I had put a lot more effort into this race and I'd trained properly and I knew that I'd done everything I could. And and then obviously the 
the mental <laughs> battle that you have for two and a half hours or however long when you're running a marathon it really is quite a quite a grind so yeah I think that that feeling that I got finishing the marathon that day I was just like yeah this is what I want to do now this is all I want to do and straight away I said to Julian after the race when can I do another one which one should we do next I was just so pumped so um yeah I guess that was when I decided I wanted to keep running marathons but I really had no idea where it would take me and I wasn't expecting to get anywhere near um you know 230 or anything like that I just thought you know I could try and improve on on my time and and not really be in that top tier within Australian runners but probably yeah somewhere a little further down the ranks but yeah I think Nagoya um the 226 was the first time I probably believed that yeah I had a chance to maybe start making some international teams because at the time they just released the Olympic qualifying standards and so I'd run under that um so yeah I mean it was still a long way out from the Olympics and we've got We've got some really good depth at the moment in, in Australia in the marathon, so it's it's going to be a very tricky team mm. to make. But, yeah, I knew crossing the line, I guess, that day because I'd turned my watch off as well. Because I'd been having some stomach issues, I thought, oh, I don't really want to know how much time I've lost or how much I've blown up. I'm probably not going to break 2.30 anymore. I'll just turn my watch off and and run home not worrying about it. And so I turned with about 500 metres to go into the stadium and I remember them telling us in the technical meeting the day before that there'd be a clock at 500 to go and a right-hand turn and I saw this clock and the right-hand turn and I calculated you know how long it would take me to run 500 meters and realized what time I was going to run and I was yeah just blown away so I guess that that last 500 meters into the finish line was the first time I thought oh I'm actually going to run the Olympic qualifier here and you know maybe yeah that might be a a possibility for me now so that was an enjoyable way to finish a marathon what mile or k did you turn your watch off at i turned it off at i think about 30 k's so that's like 18 miles right oh uh yes yep. okay about eight miles yeah and so, so i was running blind for a bit. no i didn't know and i knew i was catching some people that were coming back from the group i'd been running with earlier but um I wasn't sure if they'd just blown up or I really had no idea what pace I was running. And there, I don't think I saw another clock until I got to the 500 metres to go. So I could see the K markers and I knew I was, you know, at 38K, 40K. But, um, yeah, it wasn't until I saw that clock that I sort of realised that I hadn't actually lost anywhere near as much time as I thought I had. So, yeah. Do you think if you would have left the watch running that it would have messed with your head and you would have slowed down? Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I think once I started feeling better, I don't know mm. that it would have. Would have but, um, yeah, it, it definitely can. If, if once you're blowing up and you are slowing down, mm-hmm. yeah, for me particularly, I just I, I find it does mess with my head and I don't – it's better if I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what it would have been like if I knew that I was actually picking up pace again, but, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, too. I mean, that story just proves, too, to anybody that you can feel really bad at some points of the marathon, and that doesn't mean that your marathon is done. you got to ride that wave. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something I've learned sort of over the past few marathons that I've done, that it, you, even if you don't feel good at the start, you yeah. know, it, it, there's going to be so many different feelings throughout, and, and just not to, if you can help it, don't give up, don't stop because, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen in the last 5, 10 Ks. And you don't know, you know, there's so many races where there might be quite a few people in front of you that end up pulling out mm. and you finish a lot higher than you, re- you know, thought you were going to or, yeah, so you've just got to stay in it and see what happens. Yeah, you know, that was one of the things when I talked to Sarah Hall after London, like we talked about looking at that start list in London and how many people – in that race had times that were just way faster than she'd ever run, but she still ended up finishing second. And it's like, if you look at that list and you place yourself where you're seated or whatever it is, well, you're just like kind of giving up before you even start. Yeah, exactly. And I heard her saying in an interview as well that she didn't feel very good 
in London and she even considered stopping maybe at, mm -hmm. at some point. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she's very glad she didn't now. <gasps> hey, friends, a quick break to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this podcast. Lily Trotters has been my longest running sponsor of this show, and I'm so grateful for them. And I so believe in their products. Their compression socks are not only cute, they are functional. They have crew socks, which I really love. I, I think the crew socks are my favorite. And this is a woman-owned business, so I love that as well. You all can save on your Lily Trotters and support this awesome company when you go to lilytrotters.com. Use the code ANOTHER at checkout, and that will save you 25%. That's lilytrotters.com. There is no better place to find compression socks. Use the code ANOTHER at checkout. And I want to let you all know that Ellie stayed on for an extra 25 minutes for Patreon supporters. So there is an extended conversation dropping today when this episode drops over on Patreon. When you support the show at the $5 level or more, you get access to those occasional extended conversations that I have with guests. We also did a live Q&A on Tuesday night for all Patreon supporters, and that audio is also available now. Head over to patreon.com slash lindsayhine and check out supporting the podcast over there. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of my conversation with Ellie Pashley. You mentioned the Cape Town race was super ta tactical, and I think we see tactical races happen more in track. What was so tactical about that race? Yeah, so there was the lead pack was quite quite big and it was a bit windy that day as well so nobody wanted to mm. sit at the front so it ended up being uh myself and Halalia Johannes who's a Nam Namibian runner we ended up sort of keep finding ourselves at the front of the pack mm. with a huge pack of girls sitting on us probably because we were both quite a bit taller than everybody else as well and then we were sort of probably running slow to try and encourage other people to mm -hmm. to do some work and it was really um surgy slow down I think with the hills as well uh it started off really really slow like much slower than I was hoping to run mm. and then yeah but I also didn't want to go off at the front and right. have everybody <laughs> sitting on me for 20ks so yeah that was that was good experience for me as well especially coming off a background with not a lot of track racing experience. I think it, it was good for me to actually be in a marathon like that and it, it just started kicking down. So we got to maybe 25, 30K and they just started winding up the pace and people were going off the front making moves and so there was a lot of surging, slowing down and, yeah, I totally blew to smithereens at about 35K, I think, and got dropped from the pack. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was quite, a, quite a fun race. Okay, so you also mentioned, you know, that feeling you had at Melbourne when you've, you, I, anybody who's run a marathon, no matter how fast or slow, I think we can all agree that that first marathon finish especially is just really special. Um, but also when I take breaks from running and I come back and I do a marathon, I, I kind of get those same similar feelings. Have all those marathons since had that much of a special feeling or is it kind of uh man died down sounds like super sad to say but what it, what do the finish lines feel like now yeah I think um London was probably a little bit of a different yeah a different feeling for me I didn't have a great race that day but I, yeah every I mean like you said probably none compared to that first uh that sense of achievement that you get when you finish your first marathon but Certainly every one that I've done and finished, I do get a huge rush at the end of the race. And I almost have a bit of a, an emotional high, I think, for a day or two after and then a bit of a crash. Mm -hmm. I have a day, a couple of days after a marathon where I feel really flat. And I think it is that, uh, that high that you get, you get after a race like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's still always a special feeling for me. And, and I love the, I almost love the nervous you know, week or two leading in and that it's it's very stressful going into a marathon because there are so many things mm. that can happen, so many things that can go wrong and you really just have no idea how it's going to go until the day. So I sort of uh, I sort of like that feeling of, of anticipation and not knowing what's going to happen and then afterwards is probably always a combination of relief <laughs> to get through it and, oh, yeah. yeah, just just a rush. 
you like that anticipation because that's what I'm like oh I just want to get to the day <laughs> yeah no I, I sort of like it I like the yeah. I like the atmosphere leading in and the nervousness uh-huh. I get because I especially nowadays I think too that I've um trained really hard for it and I feel like I go into races now knowing that I've done what I need to do and yeah there's there's something something nice in that how have you mastered managing marathon pain you know when you first do it and you it's like a different kind like you mentioned the 5k is so much harder right the marathon is such a different kind of pain because it's just this like like long endurance project how have you learned to mentally manage that yeah to be honest I don't find the marathon pain anywhere near as bad as that the pain that you get in a 5k or a shorter race uh, I, I probably haven't really put enough time into uh, mental strategies to manage manage it to be honest but it, it's never really been something that has bothered me too much I, I think the main thing that I do for me when once I start getting really fatigued in a marathon it's I feel like um, my legs just aren't doing what I want them to mm-hmm. do anymore rather than being painful as such I mean I was in some pain in London but it's more like they're I was describing it to somebody one day is it's like your legs turn into two cement blocks mm-hmm. and have to tell them physically what you need them to do so I have to tell myself to lift my knee to bring my leg through and then I have to try and tell myself to kick back even though you know at the end of the marathon there's not much kickback happening as you push off um so it's more uh, I sort of use I guess instructions from my brain to my legs to try and yeah encourage them to keep <laughs> moving and putting one foot in front of the other um but I was actually I was thinking recently I should I should even talk to someone and try and get some strategies just for I've heard people talk about ways of almost embracing the pain and and turning it into a positive thing so I'll often check in and you know tell myself it's actually not that painful it's your legs are just heavy or try and make a positive spin on it but um I think some more strategies to have in my toolbox would be handy because there's going to be some hard ones ahead I'm sure I love that though telling your legs because I think oftentimes that is probably the most common issue with finishing a marathon as fast as you want to you get towards the last three miles or whatever and it's like I feel fine like I can breathe fine but my legs are not moving that's so I and so to actually like go through that process in your head like keep pulling through keep using that effort because that's when you get sloppy that's when you slow down without even realizing you're letting yourself slow down so much yeah exactly and it's a it's sort of distracting as well you can you know stop thinking about how far you've got to go and yeah just cue into different different parts of your legs and try and get them to (laughs) get you to the finish line so you ran New York in 2016 the 226 what was that experience like? That's your first marathon in the States? Yeah, so it was 227 actually. Oh, I'm York. sorry, 227. <laughs> That's okay. I would have loved to have claimed 226, but <laughs> not quite. Uh, yeah, that, New York was awesome. I mean, that was a race that I'd always wanted to do anyway, and it was, yeah, it exceeded all my expectations. I'd heard about the crowds and the noise on First Avenue when you come off the Queensboro Bridge mm-hmm. and but I feel like it wasn't until I was there running it that I really understood quite how huge of an event it is. Um, so yeah, that was that was a really a really fun experience. And and that day I just ran. I didn't wear a watch. I just wanted to race with the lead pack for as long as I could oh, cool. and see what happened. Yeah, just to just to soak it all in because um, I know like because the course is fairly challenging as well. Time there yeah. was probably not really I wasn't really going for a particular time I guess it was more just trying to race and and get it finish as high up as I could so yeah I had Sinead in the race with me as well which was really fun so we just spent some time training overseas together before uh the Doha world champs for the 10k so yeah we'd we'd done a lot of our build up to New York together and yeah it was it was really really cool we actually went the wrong way at one point um in the, mar- in the New the, York Marathon? 
<laughs> I don't think I know this. No, maybe I do. I think uh, I do. Tell a story, a though. <laughs> so we were at the front, which, yeah, I think we said to each other before the race, you know, let's just let's just race, but we won't. Let's try not to find ourselves at the front yeah. of the lead pack. And then enough, we were at the front. Um <laughs> just having and obviously having no idea where to go so we got to this uh <laughs> section where everybody went r- to the right hand side of the road and there was a marshal standing there but she just assumed I think that everybody knew where to go and then we went left and then we had to go under a uh roped off section to get back on course and then as we went to go under it Sinead got tangled in the rope and she spun around and then I crashed into her <laughs> and then <laughs> It was just, it was quite funny. It was, yeah, so it took us a, a little bit to get back onto the back of the pack and we just looked at each other. Oh, that's funny. Like, what were we doing? But, um, yeah, it was fun. It was it was pretty early on too. It was probably only five or six K in, so. Okay, I yeah. had to have, t- if I interviewed her after New York, didn't do that, I had to have talked to her about that. There's no way we did it. Yeah, right? I'm not sure. You mentioned it. I feel but, like there's a picture. Yeah. Isn't there a picture? Now I'm picturing a picture. There's a picture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a of her getting tangled and me running into her, which is quite quite funny. We bring it we bring it up every now and then. Oh, that's good. So you placed eighth though, right? Yeah, I finished eighth, yep. And so was she fifth? She was fifth that year. Yeah, she was fifth. Yep. Okay, I mean that's high in New York. Did you feel good about that? Yeah, I was really excited. I, I wanted to try and finish in the top ten. Okay. I actually, my, because we went out quite hard that day, it was a big positive split, but in my uh, exhaustion, in the last 10Ks, I'd somehow calculated in my head that I was coming fifth and that she was coming second Oh, because I could see her up the road and I saw her go past maybe Des and I don't know how, but I missed uh, three ladies that were further up the road that I couldn't see and I crossed the line thinking that I'd finished fifth and she'd finished second and I gave her this big hug and said, oh, my God, you got on the podium. And she looked at me and she's like, oh, no, I came fifth. And I was like, no, I came fifth. And she's like, I don't think so. Were you so, so disappointed? Uh, I actually wasn't really. Yeah. I, it took me a second to recalibrate that I'd actually come eighth and then I was still stoked with that. But, yeah, it was. I think, you know, when you're just so fatigued, you – Oh yeah lose um the ability to add up what time you're going to run and obviously work out what place you're coming but it was I was still very happy yeah do you remember what Des did that year I can't remember she came she must have been in between you guys okay yeah Des and Kellen was seven okay okay and then you were eighth do you remember who who were you sandwiched between who was behind you uh behind me was uh I can't remember if it was one of the Ethiopian girls, I think, who I'd come past in Central Park, yeah. So there are a couple of African athletes behind me from memory, yeah. I So 2019, that's the only time I – I mean, of course, I was running with all the normal people, like (laughs) the non-pros, but – I ran, yeah. I ran – that's the only time I've ever run New York, and I – well, I too – was very intimidated. I was very intimidated by the hills. I shouldn't say I too. I don't know that you were, but um, I've run Boston several times, and so I kind of thought, okay, this might be a similar experience, but it wasn't. Like the the crowds, you cannot compare. Like they're amazing, and like you were mentioning, coming off the Queensboro Bridge. I had heard about that and I was like anticipating it and it was just as good as everybody said it was. And going up the Queensboro Bridge, I was most nervous about that because I heard it's such a long haul at kind of a critical part of the race, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, the hills, the hills, I agree. The hills aren't too bad. Because you get to go down. Yeah, exactly. And there aren't any really sharp, steep ones. I think what I found was because we went out quite hard Mm. and it seems like a lot of the hills are in the first Mm -hmm. half or a lot of the big bridges or the first, you know, 25K or so, I felt like my legs just were beat up by the Mm -hmm. end. But I think it was probably more that we went out, we ran the first half a lot faster than I'd expected to. So 
I was just yeah hanging on for dear life at the end. But yeah, it's not it's not extremely hilly. It's I'd love of, to do Boston though. Yeah, it's probably kind of like yeah. refreshing though to just go totally watchless and just say I'm just throwing it all out there and just doing what what happens. Yeah, it was good because I think I'd done so many marathons where I was very uh you know, I had a time in mind that I wanted to run or it was all about the time, whereas it was nice in this one for time not to matter at all and, mm-hmm. and just to be there to race. I think uh, without a watch I can be a little <laughs> reckless. Oh, so I'm sure. not sure if I would do it again, Yeah, <laughs> to be honest. But, um, yeah, it it was it was a very a good experience and I think that was, a, that was the race to do it, go no watch. Is that tough though because – you know, going to watch, you, you go out with the front pack and if the front pack's going a little fast though and you want to back off, but you don't want to run alone. So is that challenging as a pro who, I mean, you're going to be on podiums, don't no doubt about that, but if you're not really wanting to be as fast as that pack, but being with the pack is so beneficial, like how do you decide? Yeah, and that's that's, I guess that's the beauty of no watch is that you don't (laughs) – it's probably easier to make that decision because you're not looking at your watch going, oh, I'm running way too fast. This is going badly. I wasn't really thinking about that at all that day. Um, And in the end, I think like my second half was five minutes slower than my first half or something. Oh, wow, you did go out fast. (laughs) And usually in New York they go out really really slow for the first half and then kick it down. So that was exactly what – we'd been expecting to happen going into it. And um, I think it was Des actually, she kept, she was surging off the front to try and make it a fast race. Yeah. Which, yeah. So I think it, it was good to just go with it that day, but there are times where you have to decide. And particularly if, if time is important, if you're using it to qualify mm. for something, you have to make that decision as to whether it's better to go with a pace that's a little too fast or whether it's better to run your own race, which I think in most cases I would always choose to go with the pack, to be honest. It, it just makes for a much more enjoyable race. And, yeah, unless unless it's ridiculously too fast and I know that it's it's an impossible um, pace for me to run, then, yeah, I think I would usually choose that option. Okay, so what now with Tokyo? What are, what are your plans? Yeah, so I'm – so the way that our qualification system works is we use the world athletics times and it's the top three in each event so I'm currently sitting third in the marathon okay so I'm the sitting duck waiting to get knocked out of the top three there who is it Sinead and who else yeah Sinead and Lisa Waitman who's uh she's an Australian runner she's been to I think this will be her fourth Olympics oh wow all in the marathon Yes, all in the marathon, yeah. wow. So those two have got the top two spots at the moment. And then there's a couple of other girls who could definitely knock me out. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. So it's a little bit bit stressful. Um, And then in the 10K, at the moment, I'm the only one who has the time. Okay. But, yeah, again, there are other girls. Like we've got some really good young girls coming through as well who could definitely get the 10K time as well over the next few months if they – if they have the right race. So, yeah, so I'm not really sure. I, I would know. love to do the marathon. No, I, I don't know. But, I re- like, I'm hoping that I'll get to go in one of the events. Um, if I get knocked out of both, that would be pretty disappointing. Uh. But it's definitely a possibility. Uh, but, yeah, the marathon is my is my favourite. So okay. I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to do that one. But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And it's – I don't really want to do another marathon now because mm-hmm. I – I kind of rushed back from an injury last year to do London and I just I think I need the time to just get fit um, for this next six months and a marathon block and then recovery would it just messes with my um, my build into the Olympics basically and there's nothing that's far enough out to really mean that you can recover properly and then reboot to peak in July August so I'm just going to take the risk and not not do another marathon um, and wait and see what happens. Yeah, I heard you mention in an interview before London that you didn't 
necessarily think that this was going to be a race that you would PR in. And is that because you were coming back from an injury? Yeah. So I, I missed a big chunk of, of training in the middle of the year last year. I had a foot injury okay. and then my build up to London was really, uh, I was quite underdone. I had, I just couldn't, my foot couldn't handle, it was still basically a bit injured. Mm. <laughs> so I could only handle uh, relatively low mileage and I just hadn't done the the long runs and the workouts that I would normally do in the lead into a marathon. So I knew that I was going in underdone, but I hoped that uh, somehow, you know, all the marathon blocks behind me might help and I might be able to pull out something, something that I didn't think was possible with good conditions and, you know, a good pace group and things like that. But in the end, yeah, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't fit enough and, and my legs, um, yeah, I sort of injured my calf a little bit in the race. I think I just hadn't done the, done the mileage or the work on the road because I couldn't train properly on asphalt leading into it. So I'd done a lot of, uh, gravel or soft trail running, which, yeah, my legs just weren't, weren't ready for the impact. So that was a bit of a hard day out, but you know, some, even though the conditions weren't great, some people ran really, yeah. really fast. So, yeah, I think it, it was still a good race. It just wasn't a good race for me. Why did you ultimately decide to go ahead and go through with it? Yeah, I am denied about it. And I, I just, because there were no race opportunities that year and there was nothing happening here in Australia, I decided that you know, I may as well just go and try and see what happened. And like I said, I thought maybe I could surprise myself and end up running faster than, than I thought I was going to. My coach said deep down, he knew that that wasn't going to happen. And he actually thought I was probably going to run even slower than I did (laughs) based off my training that he'd seen. So yeah, it was, I think it was more just like we were in lockdown here all through winter and there was nothing really happening. So it was basically I just wanted to do something different and thought I may as well go and have a try. So, yeah, I just did it anyway. Yeah. So in a perfect world, you get to run the marathon in Tokyo. Yes. Yeah, that would be my that would be my dream. Would you do both if you got chosen for both? Uh, they're on the same day. So oh, God. It's <laughs> yeah. And one's in Tokyo and one's in Sapporo, so. I guess I should know um, that. Yeah, that's well, initially they weren't. The 10K was a week before. Oh, no, the marathon was a week before, actually, in the okay. early stages. But, yeah, I still wouldn't have been able to to do both. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know who's done it, but I think Galen Rupp from America. I'm trying to think of other athletes who have done the 10K marathon double in the Olympics. Do you know of any? Uh some of the Australian guys I know back in the 80s and 90s used to do it. Okay. If it, I think because also then I think you could, if you were over there already competing in one event, you could just decide at the last minute if you had the qualifying time or whatever, you could decide whether you wanted to jump into the other event. It was a little more relaxed, I think, the whole selection yeah, <laughs> process. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I know some of them used to do it. Or if you did the marathon and it went badly and you had to pull out it, you know, 25K yeah. or whatever, and it'd be nice to have a have a backup race. But, yeah, I'm not sure that it happens very often anymore. Yeah, I mean, talk about endurance and getting a lot, putting putting a lot on your body in one one experience. Yeah, the way that I feel after a marathon, there's no way I could do a 10K track race a week later. <laughs> yeah, it takes me. All right. Friends, if you are not already following Ellie on social media, I'm going to tell Ellie to start posting more. Uh, <laughs> it's Ellie O'Pash. So if you aren't already following her career, because I know a lot of our listeners are American listeners, and I love exposing people here to other athletes in other countries. So it's always so fun to get to talk to some of the international athletes. So Ellie, my, my request is you post more so I can do better stalking <laughs> of, you, of what you're doing. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not very good at Instagram, but <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> All right. So Ellie is going to stay on for Patreon. We're going to do a bit more. I, I wanted to get into a little bit more with your work as a physiotherapist and things like that. So um, we're going to go into a little bit more depth 
on Patreon. So if you support over on Patreon, you can get access to additional conversation with Ellie. That's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. Okay, Ellie, um, what is one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done yet that you do want to do? Uh, go to the Olympics. <laughs> yes. That's yes. probably my number one thing. And I also really want to have a family. Mm. So one day, personally, I guess. I guess that for you, I mean, I'm just going to say it because it's just an, you know, you're, you mentioned you're 32, you want to run to your 40. So that's just a factor if you want to have biological kids that you have to think about as a professional runner. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. And that's probably for me the one downside of when I've come into mm. the sport is that my my main career is going to be through my 30s, mm-hmm. which is also, um, yeah, probably the prime time to be trying to have children. So it's, to be honest, when the Olympics got postponed, I was, that was a little bit disappointing for me from that aspect because I was really hoping to race in Tokyo and then try and have mm. a baby after that. Um, so putting that off another year has been, yeah, it, I mean, it was fine. It was, it's, I've got a little bit of time up my sleeve, I hope. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky trying to plan that in with, yeah, falling pregnant because you don't know how long that's going to take and then also recovering yeah. safely and properly to then start racing again. So that's, that's something I have to try and work out over the next 10 years, I guess, how I'm going to try and fit a couple of babies into the picture if I can. Who are some runners that are running at your level who are moms that you look up to? Yeah, well, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot these days. I mean, obviously, Sinead, she's got two two sons and and she's a huge inspiration how she juggles her kids and work and she's also been homeschooling them this year as well so that's been a huge mission for her and I mean a lot of a lot of the American runners as well have got got kids of their own and they've come back and they're racing better than ever it Mm -hmm. seems so yeah we've got a lot of role models here in Australia there's Jess Stenson who's now got a one-year-old who's coming on her way back as well. So she's one of the girls that will be up for Olympic selection for the marathon too. Uh, Lisa Waitman has a son too. So there's, I mean, yeah, I think, I think a lot of the, um, a lot of the best female runners in the world have, have got children of their own and, and are making it work. And it's, I mean, I, sh- <laughs> I struggle enough to fit everything into my days without having any kids. So I can't even imagine how I'm going to cope, but, uh, yeah, I guess people just just learn to to make it work as they go. Oh, for sure. You figure it out. It's not easy, but you figure it out. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking of Alphine, you know, here in the United States winning the trials and then coming out and telling us all she's pregnant like eight weeks before she's due and then she's going to run in Tokyo. But I wonder, do you ever feel, I mean, you just put it out there and said it, but do you ever feel like, you wanted to keep that a secret so that people weren't wondering, like, is she going to get pregnant? Because you, you never know once you start trying, like, if it's going to work and all those things. So does that feel pressure to you? Not really, to be honest, but I probably don't, I have, you know, I don't know what it's like to be trying and for it not to be happening. Sure. So, yeah, I think that would be, that could definitely be a tricky situation if you'd told everybody around you that that was what you were planning. Yeah. And then every time you see people, they're expecting you Uh to tell them that (laughs) from not having a baby, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not, I guess, uh, worried about telling people that that that's in my, in my plans over the next five, 10 years, because I'm sure probably a lot of people are expecting that anyway. And I get asked all the time at work by all my patients, oh, when are you going to have a baby? <laughs> You're getting on it. Time's ticking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't too long. So, yeah, I'm used to having that conversation with people. <laughs> I My first job out of college, I was worked at a senior center, and I was like, when I was like 25, I was getting <laughs> comments like that. I'm like, I'm 25. That's such a generational thing, though. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. And they say things like, oh, I had – Five kids by the time of your age. Well, it's 2021 now, so things it, times are different. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't cover this. Well, we can chat just briefly in Patreon, but uh, just so everybody knows that 
Ellie has run on a world championships team in Doha. So we'll talk about that on Patreon, but we kind of, we didn't get to that in the episode. We had so, we talked so in so much depth about the marathon, um, but she did run in the world championships in the 10 K in Doha. So um, just so everybody knows that little fact about your career. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Probably the 10 K in Doha, to be honest. That was, um, I think that was one of the best races I've ever had. And, and again, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm not very comfortable on the track. I don't feel like I'm experienced enough and I, I just don't have the, the speed and the change of pace that a lot of those girls do that I'm, I'm racing against. And that, that race, I was completely surprised by uh, the times that we ran that day. I was thinking with the heat, even though the stadium wasn't anywhere near as hot as outside, but I was thinking, oh, there's no way we're going to run um, fast times. And I was very intimidated by everybody that I was running against, you know, all these women that are basically the best in the world. So for me to, I just went into it with no expectations and just tried to hang on for dear life, basically the whole race. And every time a move was made, I tried to, to go and keep up. And yeah, that I finished, I realized, I think with about maybe three or four laps to go, roughly what pace we were on. And and, and that was, yeah, a huge surprise to me. And I just basically gave it everything I had to, to the, get to the finish line. And I realized that if I kept going, I could run the Olympic qualifier, which wasn't really something that had crossed my mind in the lead-in, to be honest. So, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely probably, I think, my best race I've ever had. What is the best, most recent book you've read? Ah, uh, so... Um, at the moment, well, I, I actually just read quite a good book about, uh, the Russian doping scandal called The Russian Affair by David Wolf. And then at the moment, I'm actually reading Ben Rosario and Scott Forbel's book. Mm. Inside a Marathon. Inside a Marathon. Yeah. I was just trying to remember the name. So yeah, that's been, that's been good so far. I'm only about probably a quarter of the way through that, but yeah, I like sports books and autobiographies and things like that. How much do you follow American distance running as an Australian? Yeah, quite a lot. I think um, I think all Australian runners probably follow the American scene just because, I mean, the depth of the races that you guys have over there and, and the depth of talent and we're very exposed to it through social media mm-hmm. and even things like flow track and, yeah, so I think um, – yeah, I follow it relatively closely. I, I watch a lot of the races when I can with the time difference. Yeah. And, yeah, I feel like I know I know what a lot of the, particularly the female marathoners are, are up to because I follow a lot of them on social media. So, yeah, it's it's cool to see. I think the structure over there is really great too with the, the training groups and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. locations that you've got for altitude training and things like that are pretty, yeah, it's pretty epic. So, we're a bit jealous. We don't have quite the same. I love that you said epic. My eight-year-old is like so into saying epic right now. He's always like, that's going to be epic. And I know he heard it from something on YouTube or whatever, but like that's his go-to <laughs> phrase right now. <laughs> this is so epic. <laughs> oh, I might need to work on my vocabulary. No, it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Speaking who is someone fun motivating or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee tea or cocktail with well I from maybe because of the book that I'm reading at the moment but I would like to have maybe a coffee with Ben Rosario and just pick his brain about marathon training I think that my coach Julian has a very similar philosophy to his and I've listened to a lot of podcasts that he's done to and yeah I, I find him very intelligent, very interesting to listen to. So, yeah, I think maybe have a discussion with him about about training would be my choice. I love what it. What a boring run. No. Boring run is answer, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's a fun answer. And Ben Ben's super generous with his time on podcasts and whatnot. I mean, I know a lot of media that he does and the group does. It's like part of their deal with Hoka. Like they're going to be out doing interviews and things like that. But um, I I just love how transparent the NAZ elite group is with their training and just like putting it out there and saying, we're going to show up to the start line. You can see what we've done. Here it is. And I think that's really cool. And you don't always see that in elite running. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, 
like a lot of people are a little bit secretive with their training and what they're what they're doing which yeah I mean that's fine if people if people want to do it that way but but I agree I like it when it's all out in the open and yeah it's it's really interesting to see the different ways that people do things and I mean every athlete's different too with what works for them so I don't really see the the point of being too secretive about it but we're, we're pretty open with our training as well like Julian and I we we're on Strava and I was gonna ask if you're on Strava yeah yeah, yeah. So anybody can can follow what we're doing. It's it's nothing, um, nothing, not rocket science, I guess. But yeah. Okay, Ellie. What's your message that you want to leave our audience with today? I think that if you're struggling for motivation at the moment, particularly with races being cancelled and things like that, the thing that I always think about to get me out the door when I really don't feel like it is that you'll never regret going for a run but you will always regret it if you don't do it. So just at the moment, it's just get out there, get it done, tick the days off and races will come back eventually (laughs) and you'll be fitter than ever. (laughs) Yes, they will come back. Uh, All right, friends, Ellie's going to stay on for Patreon. uh, So check out that if you are interested in hearing more. She's just been so easy to talk to. I knew halfway through, I was like, I got to ask her to stay on for Patreon. This has been too fun. (laughs) Thanks, Ellie. No worries, Lindsay. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in today. Thanks, Ellie, for coming on the podcast. You all can find Ellie on Instagram. She is Ellie O. Pash over there. You can find me on Instagram. I'm LindsayHine626, as well as Twitter, at LindsayHine, and Facebook. I'll have another podcast with LindsayHine where we have a group as well. Thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Prevenex. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. And you can also check out Lily Trotters when you go to LilyTrotters.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 25% off your order. Thanks for being here, everybody. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, we will see you next Friday.